Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia, this is community. I'm Tom Brown and your host today, Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome to Koinonia, this is Mark Buckley from Living Streams. I'm glad to be with you on this beautiful day. With me in the studio is Pat Stark. Pat, we're going to let our listeners get to know you up close and personal today. So welcome, and thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me. Tell us about yourself and how you in, got involved in ministry. Well, uh, I grew up in a church-going home. Uh, probably heard the gospel, but uh, didn't pay attention to the specifics of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, came to faith uh, really outside of church in a uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, group that was uh, active in my high school. I grew up in Western Washington uh-huh. and, uh, you know, kind of had one of those uh, Saul to Paul moments mm-hmm. when uh, one of my uh, football buddies asked me after practice, you know, get hit by a truck, where do you go, heaven or hell? And I know that doesn't work for a lot of people, but for me it was like, Oh, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Really? Uh, and I knew enough about... And you've gone to church as a kid? Yeah, yeah. Grew up, grew up in the church. Um, but I, I, I never equated that uh, j- just because I was in church, I, I thought that that meant yeah. that I was a Christ follower. So I yeah. never really had the, the personal relationship side of it until I had gone to some of these FCA meetings and until my buddy, you know, had the... Uh, had the boldness to ask me that question. So You know what's sad to me is so few people are sharing their faith actively these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. I mean, with strangers anyway. I yeah. mean, maybe with friends on occasion. But if you sit by somebody in an airplane, they're not going to start sharing the Lord with you. I mean, it's so, so rare. Now, if you pull out your Bible, you start reading it or whatever, yeah. somebody might acknowledge that they're a Christian too. But if you don't initiate, I found a lot of people will just stay silent, which is really a shame because revival is not some supernatural thing from heaven. It's when believers are sharing their faith and living their faith in a normal, active, everyday way. Yeah. Well, and I think, so I'm, I love, I love to talk to non-Christians and, and the, uh, the further from God, the better. I mean, I just, there's something that God put in me early on in my life. And it probably was, you know, where I started in, in as a high school kid mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, just this lack of knowledge. And I just, I've always been compelled to have those, those conversations. So I came to faith, went to college, uh, went to a giant party school, prayed that God would give me some Christian brothers and friends to keep me on the straight and narrow because I was a, a newborn babe in the faith. Really? Uh, went to Washington State University, the academic powerhouse of the West Coast. A little mm-hmm. nod there. Uh, not really. Uh, and, and, Cougars, yeah, right? Yeah, the Cougars, that's right. And, and, you know, it was known as a party school. We were five mm-hmm. miles from the Idaho border, so the drinking age was 19. So I just asked God, you know, show me your real, give mm-hmm. me some. And so I, I got put in a dorm, randomly assigned to a, uh, a dorm, probably had 500 guys. Found out later there was maybe maybe 50 guys that were, were Christians, and 23 of them were on my dorm floor. Really? And I went, oh, boy, this is real. This is wow. So it, it was one of those deals where, you know, there's no turning back. God answered a prayer that was very specific. And so grew like uh, grew like crazy during my college years, knew that I either wanted to be working with high school kids trying to keep them out of trouble in some way, 
uh, or be in ministry, didn't really know what, so mm-hmm. went uh, to Northern California to a, a place in Grass Valley called Christian Encounter Ministries. I was an intern at a ranch for troubled kids and uh, believed that God called me a full, full-time ministry during that time that I was there. Who was the founder of that ministry? Um, because it used to be on the radio, I think, when really? I was in Northern California. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, going, if you think of it, yeah, let us know it, at the yeah. end of the break. Um, we're My guest is Pat Stark. We're going to be talking about ministry and, and drawing on some of his wisdom and insight. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. This is Mark Buckley from Living Streams. My guest is Pat Stark. We're finding out how he got involved in ministry, and he's been a, a founder of something significant here in the Valley, and we'll, we'll hear more about that in a minute. You got through college. You went to this ranch for troubled teens. How did that work? Um, were, were they effective? I know they were bringing in people from all over probably, right? Yeah, you know, it was uh, the, the way it was framed to me, and I think the, the draw— for me was uh, this is kind of the last ditch effort for a lot of these teenagers. They've already been kicked out of their high school. They're about to be kicked out of their home for good. Out of everything. And and this is, you know, before we send this kid to some type of juvenile Mm -hmm. uh, jail uh, prison system, this is kind of the last deal. And, you know, kids knew it was the last chance. So they signed on the dotted line that I'm going to, I know this is a Christian environment. I know that I'm going to have counseling. I know that I'm going to be under a microscope. Uh, it was where I saw for the first time in my life uh, kids who had, who were really being affected by the gospel. So they had you know this incredibly loving environment. They had counselors uh, who met with them uh, weekly. Uh, they had an intern like myself who was literally with them 24/7. We you know lived in the dorms with them. We supervised them, and I, I just saw real life change. And I'd seen the other side. I'd worked in the juvenile uh, justice department in uh, Washington State, um, part of my internship prior to coming to that ranch. Where they didn't encourage people to share their faith well, or anything like that. Just, there was a lack of faith, yeah. and, and, and there was hopelessness. There were mm-hmm. kids who were you know, just in and out of the system over and over again. And Getting I, more bitter, more angry. Yeah. So I, I, saw, I saw true life change, and mm-hmm. that's why I, this is, I want to be a part of this. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. And so how long were you there, and, and what did you, what it, did you It do was a, a year of my life, um, and, uh, and it, was, you know, it was definitely uh, difficult uh, not having a lot of breathing room, but it just it was uh, it was transformative for me. I, I moved back up to Seattle to be near my girlfriend, now my wife, uh, Karen, and uh, spent a year in the banking industry looking for a youth ministry job. Mm-hmm. Learned really quickly that I'm I'm not a banker and I'm not a business guy, but I definitely uh, got to see that perspective on life. A church that was in downtown Seattle was called First Covenant Church, hundred year old church founded by Swedish immigrants. Uh, somebody told me, a youth pastor friend of mine said, hey, they're, they're looking for a young life person. I'd done young life ministry throughout my college and post-college years uh, to be their youth pastor. So I knocked on their door. Uh, a couple of interviews later, 
I really don't think they knew who they were getting. I right. certainly didn't know anything about that, that church. culture, <laughs> which um, isn't exactly uh, user-friendly or, uh, you know, whatever yeah, it, for you kids. Know, a hundred-year-old church uh, definitely had some disadvantages, but what I found was uh, they had this really loving um, environment for kids who were outside of the faith. And so they allowed me not only to... Um, to grow an existing uh, ministry that was there with with literally kids who were fifth generation of the same uh, Swedish immigrants who founded that church. So all, you know, uh, blue-eyed, blonde-haired kids, usually related to each other. But then as I came on board, uh, we were able to incorporate African-American kids, Native American kids, kids who actually lived in that neighborhood into this uh, very um, affluent uh, you know, culture that these kids live now, in. Now, did you get pushback from any of the members that you're starting to uh, bring uh, diversity and color into the environment? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think that was, uh, you know, there's there's always going to be a little bit of that. I think anytime a, a culture is shifting, there there's some people who, you know, out of fear or whatever, have, have some preconceived ideas. Um, but for the most part, I would say it was it was truly embraced. I'm, I'm part of the evangelical covenant denomination, and we are if not the most diverse evangelical group, we're one of them. And so we already had that part of our history. We are founded by Swedish immigrants, so, you know, immigrant um, mentality has kind of always been a part of who we are. So uh, we're, we're very diverse ethnically, culturally. So I think that helped to allow those kids to be embraced. But it was just, it was really a beautiful thing to, to see, you know, kids from the well, neighborhood. How did you reach out to completely non-believing kids that had no church background necessarily? Well, it involves breaking stained glass windows. Hmm. So had a little uh, basketball hoop set up in the youth room. Remember, this is a 100-year-old church. It's a tabernacle, mm-hmm. very beautiful, very pristine stained glass windows. And uh, while I was not on watch, the kids weren't supposed to play basketball without me, uh, somebody put a basketball through one of the stained glass windows. So they had a, an adjacent annex, and they, it's being unused. So that's the new youth room, Pat. That's where you take yeah. the kids so you don't break now anything. On. And so we're right literally on the streets of downtown Seattle, right up from Pike Place Market, where these kids wandered. And, you know, kids wander by and see us playing basketball and doing all kinds of stuff. So they come in to find out what's happening. So a lot of it began that way. And then these kids invited their friends and their friends saying, hey, we're at this church. They got this youth room. There's this youth youth guy who wants us to come on these retreats and these outings and stuff like that. So, you know, that, that kind of culture just tended to That's attract That's awesome. Them. Awesome. Yeah. So where'd you go from there? Yeah. So uh, with six years in Seattle, um, got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Seattle Pacific. Mm-hmm. Uh, really felt like I needed to utilize that knowledge and wasn't sure that was going to happen in that locale. Mm-hmm. So uh, the way that our, our tribe works, as I said uh, to our superintendent who oversees the church, as I said, hey, I'm, I'm open to a new call if, if God wants that. And uh, I figured, you know, being in Seattle, I might move to Tacoma, maybe to Spokane. Mm-hmm. But uh, Phoenix, Arizona was the first place that called. We came down here, and it was, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of those just, I know that God for sure wants this to happen, but uh, for my wife, Karen, and I, that was, that was it. We came here uh, not thinking we would ever move to the desert, 
And by the end of our candidating weekend, it was crystal clear. And, and who were you candidating for? Yeah, uh, so it was a, a youth and family position, so it was going to allow me to use that, that education, uh, still be involved in uh, high school and junior high ministry. Uh, the church still exists, Paradise uh, Community Church is what it's called now. It's at 42nd and Greenway. So I was there for two years, and then uh, this was a unique church. They were 11 years old. They know uh, just from the data that... Most churches, when they hit their 11th year after birth, tend to begin to focus inward and not outward, and we're strong evangelicals, always looking outside. So they did a study and said, hey, you know, we're not doing much to reach the, uh, the outside world anymore. So they said, Pat, we'd like you. We like what you're doing with youth, reaching them. We want you to, to do youth ministry for adults. And I said, okay, that sounds interesting. What does that mean? Well, we want you to start preaching on Sundays. We're going we're gonna to create one entire church within a church. going to utilize some of our church planting model. And we want you to reach non-Christian adults. And, I, you know, I said, okay, that sounds like that's the next thing for me. So let's do it. Uh, it, was, it was scary in that I know that the, the net was removed because, you know, I hired my replacement. There's no going back. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, uh, we brought on staff some creative arts people, uh, a guy that was a, uh, both a, a, a worship musician, but also very involved in uh, the secular world and music and, and arts. So knew kind of both worlds. So he was kind of a perfect fit. Uh, brought a guy up from Grand Canyon to kind of oversee our, our drama department. So we did kind of a, a hybrid uh, saddleback Willow Creek for the desert southwest. And, uh, you know, it took a while to get some traction, but boy, after the first year, we were getting um, some, some real significant um, God moments and that the people that we were aiming for were showing up, people really? who, who didn't know, know Jesus, didn't uh, either, either had a bad church experience or literally had no church experience mm-hmm. at all. Uh, had a, had a, one of our first converts was a Jewish gal who was uh, training for a triathlon, would run by church every day. And I was outside putting up this banner that said, you know, uh, that we called the church within the church Crosspoint. Crosspoint meets here. She goes, what's Crosspoint? I said, well, it's, it's a church for people who don't like church. All right, I'm coming on Sunday. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and so she starts showing up, and you know she had literally never been to church. Was a cultural wow, Jew, neat. and then uh, and then you know some months later came to faith, and she was one of the first that we baptized, and it just it just grew from there. Uh, that lasted about seven years, and then uh, my wife and I felt God calling us to to plant a church. So we kind of done you know the church within a church. Felt like God was tugging at us to, to plant something new. The vision that God put in my head, and, you know, there's a lot of wonderful churches doing wonderful mm-hmm. stuff here. Uh, but the vision I kept seeing was there's all these churches that have a full parking lot for a couple hours on Sunday, and then they're vacant. Yeah. So what if we saw church building, bricks and mortar? What if, what if we saw that as mission outpost first and worship place second? Because mm-hmm. as a church planter, when we began this work in 2003, you know, we worshiped in middle schools and elementary school cafetoriums and yeah, yeah. parks. So we knew we could worship anywhere. But what if we saw our building as a place where we could serve people who maybe would never show up on Sunday, but would come into a place where they had their real and felt needs met? And then, you know, our, our dream was, and, and hopefully they would ask us at some point, why are we doing this? You know, why why are we giving away free things to your kids and to your to your family? And uh, and that's exactly what happened. So we were uh, set up in Teardown Church for nine years, and then uh, God provided. 
after the uh, recession that, you know, kicked our fanny here in Phoenix. Uh, there was lots of strip malls and big box stores. Our denomination assisted us with a, a pretty hefty loan. We bought a... 60- so what was the name of your church? That- uh, Genesis. Genesis. Yep. And how, what kind of team did you start with? Uh, well, you're looking at them. Uh, it, it was me to begin with. Uh, we had uh, volunteers that did everything. That's kind of mm-hmm. how we, we start churches. Uh, we had a core group of about uh, 50 people. Okay. Um, did start- it come out of Crosspoint primarily? Yeah. Most of those people were, were pretty new to faith, mm-hmm. uh, which is exciting because, you know, the, the people yeah. who are newest to faith tend to be the ones who just want to keep asking their, right. their right. friends to come. Right. So uh, that's who we started with. Um, and uh, after uh, setting up and tearing down for nine and a half years, we found this uh, big box strip mall, 66,000 square feet. Uh, our denomination helped us to buy it. About that same time, uh, we had a member of our church who was on the board of uh, Solid Rock, which is a nonprofit started by Alice and Cheryl Cooper, uh, Chuck Saval. And uh, they said, hey, you know, Alice has always wanted to have this teen center, never been able to pull it off. Would mm-hmm. you consider partnering and sharing space? And, uh, and that was just kind of, a, I guess, the, uh, the exclamation point on what God wanted us to do. Because for me, that was, you know, collaborating with someone who's like-minded, who, yeah. who wants to reach lost kids. We want to yeah. reach lost people. Yeah. Uh, it just seemed like it was a, a perfect... Well, I want to hear the story of yeah. uh, what happened at Genesis and that partnership before uh, we uh, go any further. Right now, we're going to take a break. My guest is Pat Stark, founder of Genesis. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams, and my guest is Pat Stark, founder of Genesis. Pat, you've been telling us that uh, you got a big building for the first time. It is an exhilarating feeling when you finally have something that you own after. I mean, we started in our living room, and then we went to Mercury Mine Elementary, and then Shadow Mountain High School, and then a rented church building. When you finally own something, it's like, wow. It's like a family that finally owns their own house, right? Yeah, it was, it was a pretty big deal. So tell us what happened then. Yeah, so we, uh, you know, we found this uh, strip mall, and actually it's a strip mall plus two other buildings, one of which is a restaurant. Uh, so we inherited a building that was pretty decrepit and pretty old, had a couple of tenants hanging around. Part of the reason our denomination partnered with us is because they said, hey, when you, when you have a full building, you know, utilizing your own space but renting out space, then you should be able to cover the, the mortgage, which is exactly, uh, you know, what happened to us. So uh, we began uh, uh, really focused on how, how do we create a space that during the week is community center mm-hmm. and on Sundays can be quickly converted to, you know, what we do worship-wise, Sunday right. school, classrooms, that type of thing. So uh, we had an architect who happened to be the chairman of our church. Uh, he had been listening to me, uh, you know, cast vision for this thing for nine years. And so he came to me after we had this uh, this idea to buy this building and said, how about this? And, and I mean, it, it couldn't have been 
more perfect. It was exactly what I had had in my mind. I just had never put it to paper because I'm not the architect. So very exciting to see somebody capture what they'd heard, you know, coming out of my lips for so long. Uh, we, we began this partnership. We had a, a meeting with Alice and Cheryl Cooper and their board. Uh, our our uh, leadership team met with them and just started talking through, you know, what, what, are your, what is your vision and, and what does this look like to you? And we realized that with really uh, very little effort, uh, we could tweak some of what we wanted to do so that they had space uh, for a teen center mm-hmm. that could, you know, have teens in it. They used our Sunday school classrooms to teach guitar lessons, uh, to teach drum and, and vocal lessons and keyboard lessons. We created one space uh, for dance. So Cheryl is a, a professional dancer. They they really believe that one of the ways they're going to connect with, uh, you know, primarily young, younger women is to offer free dance that they could never afford. Uh, our, our thought process on our end was, uh, you know, let's go out and ask the neighbors, what, what do you need? Yeah. What's, what's in your, what isn't in your community that you want? Because I think too often in the church, you know, we set up shop, we do the typical church things without asking, does this what the community wants? Is this what they need? So we found out that most people uh, that we talked to in the neighborhood said, you know, my kid's struggling in school. They're, you know, mm-hmm. a fifth grader, but they're reading at the second grade level. Yeah. Uh, they're a third grade. They, don't, they can't do simple math. So our first thought was if we have the, the resources, we're going to offer free tutoring. And that's exactly what we did. We had two former Catholic nuns who had been doing tutoring their entire lives. They walked wow. in one Sunday and said, uh, we're not sure why we're supposed to be here. I mean, they'd never been in a Protestant church before. Really? But we think we're supposed to help kids with their tutoring. And uh, that whole process was that amazing. That was like the Lord, huh? Oh, my gosh. You know, so Phyllis and Rosie, um, Phyllis's husband, Bill, they, they started attending church mm-hmm. and, and serving uh, in the after-school program, tutoring these kids. Uh, and pretty soon they came to me and said, you know what, um, we, we, want to, uh, we want to be members. And we're like, okay, so we probably need to talk about the differences between yeah. Catholics and Protestants. There's not a lot, but there's some. And, and you know, we talked about it. We kind of did some simple discipleship. And, uh, you know, they, they not only became members, but they were baptized uh, on a Sunday morning. These two, you know, former Catholic nuns, been in the convent since age 14. Wow. Uh, and so that was just a, a beautiful, you know, serendipity to, to what we were doing. So we started with tutoring. Uh, they then implemented a GED program because many of these parents who were coming— uh, didn't have a high school diploma, so they asked if they could have that. Uh, they couldn't afford it because we were the only ones that could, would offer it for free. So they started coming to, to our program. Mm-hmm. Still has a waiting list. So yeah. how many kids uh, got into the tutoring program as time went on? Yeah, so, you know, we, we pretty much relied on volunteers, both within our church, but also people in the community. So, you know, people know who we are, so they know that we're a faith-based organization, but uh, we would accept anybody who, who was okay and was conducive to that, but had some ability to teach kids. So, you know, anywhere from 10 to, you know, 25 kids in the, uh, in the tutoring program, and I think our limit uh, was 25 in the GED program. We also had a, uh, a wonderful uh, gal. Did they meet, like, a couple days a week? No, or? they would meet Monday through uh, Thursday mm-hmm. uh, from 4 to 6 p.m., and then uh, two days a week, uh, 6 to 8 p.m., we would offer our GED program. And then we had a, a wonderful gal, Christy Bach, who— um, uh, together with her friend Michelle, uh, started a career center. So after the recession, a lot of people without work or underemployed. Uh, so they're professional staffing uh, industry folks, and they'd help, help folks with their resumes and interview skills and that type of thing. Um, and then we also uh, partnered with a group called Pow Wow, and so we give away 60 pounds of fresh produce uh, once a month in our parking lot. Um, and then on the on the, t- the teen center side, I mean, you know, they'd, they'd have anywhere from, you know, 80 to 100 kids a day coming through there. Uh, the greatest 
days, I think, for Genesis is when, you know, we had people going, well, you know, are these, these teenagers that come to the teen center, you know, they don't show up at church. Well, that's because they, they've never been to church. They don't understand church. Mm-hmm. But they're, beca- they're coming to faith through the teen center because they're staff. They're all believers. And, you know, those conversations, even if it starts with a guitar lesson, yeah. they come up. So the greatest moments were when we had in, in our first year, and it was way ahead of the curve in my mind, mm-hmm. but we had our first uh, kids come to faith, and they said, well, I know I need to get baptized. Where does that happen? Well, at Genesis Church. Oh, where's that? Well, it's right here. It's in the same building. And so they're like, oh, okay. So, you know, they show up on a Sunday in our worship space, which is what they think is the auditorium, because that's yeah. what we call it. That's where they do their concerts and different things. So they bring their family, unchurched, to, to see them get dunked by our youth pastor, by the uh, Solid Rock staff. And, you know, it still, you know, makes my heart warm wonderful, to think about that Wonderful, wonderful. So that's what gave birth to the church. Yep. And, and that was 2012 that it began? Yeah, so we, we started in 2003. Mm-hmm. We got into the building. Our first worship uh, uh, time was uh, Easter 2012. Mm-hmm. So they've been in there over four years now in the building. Four years. And how's yeah. it going? Yeah, you know, I, I, I know people say... I'm I'm living the dream, but mm-hmm. but I really got to because I you know having this picture in my head for nine and a half years and wondering several would times would it ever happen? Yeah, exactly. And you know, why isn't God in a little more of a hurry? You yeah, ever wonder about that. Yeah, and and you know here's here's what here's what God gave me to say because you know I didn't usually let it be known that it was frustrating for me at times to not right. see this happen, but you know I had a number of our folks you know especially the setup and teardown team. They get weary. When, huh? when is this going to happen? And, and I, I think the, the word God gave me, the phrase was, you know, I think God needs to get the community center in us before he mm-hmm. gets us into the community center. Because we needed to practice what does it look like to be missional in this era, in this culture? What does it look like to really express our faith in what we do and in what we say? Mm-hmm. Um, God needed to get that into us before he put us in there. And I, I have to say that, you know, we had some, some very, very well-equipped people to do what we were intent on doing when we got into that building. Because so. they had already been doing the work. They, already they had already been it. sharing their yeah. faith and reaching out. Yep. So um, you've transitioned out of that lead role. That, I have. That probably wasn't so easy either, was it? Or <laughs> how did that process Place. Yeah, so we're um, we're a pretty small tribe. Our denomination is about 850 churches in North America. We divide the country into conferences or regions. Uh, our conference is California, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, and Hawaii. So 155 churches. We have a superintendent. Other denominations might call him a bishop, mm-hmm. uh, who oversees. Really, uh, our we're, we're pretty. Uh, uh, relational, so we don't lord over churches. We really let churches have the freedom to be who they are, but we also are very intent on caring for, for pastors and for churches. So uh, our superintendent um, called me um, probably nine, ten months ago and said, hey, um, I'm, I'm asking the current staff if we brought on an associate superintendent to oversee Southern California, Arizona, um, who do you think that should be? And your name keeps coming up. So I want you to pray and I want you to think about what that might mean for you to transition into a role where you really are no longer in the local church, per se, but you're going to be shepherding those pastors in the local church and helping churches. So my wife and I, you know, began that process of praying. And again, you know, I don't have a lot of these moments, but uh, it was, it became clear to me that God had given me some pretty unique experiences in 28 years of Mm -hmm. full-time ministry. Um, and I feel at least I have the kind of experiences to tell 
younger pastors what not to do. (laughs) So if I could at least tell them that and help them through difficulty, help them through the challenges, help churches become healthy missional churches who are struggling, um, then then that's what I I think God wants me to do. So I accepted that call. I I ended my time at Genesis. last week of July. And yeah, that was really hard. Uh, when you when you have a baby <laughs> and you walk away after, you know, 13 years of really fruitful, fun ministry, um, then, it, then it is hard. Uh, hard to say goodbye to folks. Um, part of our kind of just protocol is I need to kind of stay away for a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, that's hard to stay away. It doesn't mean if I run into folks that we don't chat. I mean, is that, is that, a denominational, it's like in the bylaws kind of thing, or is it just? You know, we're very uh, we're very low on the bylaws. We try to have as few as we as we can. Uh, so no, it's not it's not a written rule, but it's just a wise thing to do because we we have transition pastor who's in in place right now, and his job is to help the church know who they are without me. Who who is he, and and was he with you before, or did you bring him in? Yeah, you know, this is to me this is the cool thing. So. Uh, his name is Dwayne Cross, and he uh, retired recently from one of our, our sister churches in Chandler, Hope Covenant. Uh, he has been a mentor to me, and as a, as a young uh, you know, church planter, uh, helped me through some really difficult stuff. So he, he was a known person to me, and when I began this, uh, this thought of transitioning, I started praying, God, if possible, I pray that Dwayne Cross gets to be transition pastor. Now, of course, once I announced I can't really have anything to do with that process, but my boss called me and said, Pat, I have good news. Uh, Dwayne Cross has accepted the call to be the transition pastor, and I'm just, you know, I got tears running down my eyes because I'm like, this is this is exactly because who he I has wanted. the right heart for the people. Right heart. He's mature. He's a great leader, and he he know. I mean, and, and it's not going to be his job. You know, he's a transition pastor. So, so. how does that work? You purposefully have a transition pastor yep. for a year or so. You know, it, until you find just the right person. Yeah, there's no no really written rule. I, I think our our rule of thumb, again, not not written in stone, is you know one month every year that a pastor's been there. So I was there 13 years. So 13 months is kind of a, a ballpark range of, yeah. of what it might take for a church to be ready uh, to receive the, the next pastor. So that's that's his job. Uh, and I know they have a search team. I can't have anything to do with that. I keep asking my boss. He says, you need to just trust that God's going to get this thing figured out. So I do. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really grateful that, that uh, Dwayne's there. So if you want, I'll tell you a little bit about our transition at yeah, yeah. Streams when we come back this. At, after this break. Um, my name's Mark Buckley. My guest is Pat Stark. And uh, we'll be right back with more of Koinonia after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. My guest is Pat Stark. And um, I want to just continue this conversation because Pat has got a new responsibility and he's overseeing churches and pastors and leaders and trying to make them more fruitful. Pat, you mentioned um, 
something about the health of a pastor, which is a passion of mine, because mm-hmm. I feel if a pastor's healthy, the church can be healthy. If a pastor loses his equilibrium, mm-hmm. then it's going to affect a whole bunch of families, not just his own family. Yep. I've had that happen to me, and that's really what I focus on now. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us, how do you work with pastors and leaders to keep them healthy, keep them focused and, and fruitful? Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, it, it kind of is on, on two different ends. One is helping churches to create an environment where pastors can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, accountability, uh, care, uh, but I think also coaching pastors uh, to really leave behind any, any mentality that, you know, you, you in fact are Jesus because there's only one of them and, and you're not him. Yeah. And, and so we want that pastor to really be thinking good thoughts about how do I care for myself? How do I both preach the Sabbath but honor it with my life? And uh, how do I, you know, preach good family boundaries, but also have that with my own family? Uh, and so part of it is just always, you know, whenever I meet with a pastor, I'm always asking those questions. How's your How's your marriage? If I asked your your spouse how your marriage was, what would they say? You know, how are your kids? You know, are you, are you getting up time? Are you able to see their sporting events? Are you able to be involved in their life? And so if I if I hear, well, not so much, you know, those are yellow flags for me. And so I'll try to create some type of a, a, a plan for that pastor to stay in good health. And then on the other end, you know, it, it's me, when I meet with leaders, um, I will often ask them, you know, how are you, how are you caring for your pastor? Are you making sure that they're taking all of their vacation yeah. every year? Are you making sure that they're taking a day off? Are you making sure that they're, uh, they're not in every single committee and, and board right. meeting that you, you know, you have? So try to, try to work both helping a church have a healthy environment for a pastor, but also, and it's usually, I think, a little tougher for the pastors, really encouraging them to make sure that they're taking care of themselves spiritually so that they can take care of the church. Not just spiritually, but emotionally, physically, in every, every way, way, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's a faith issue a lot of times. Like you said, if we're thinking that we need to be in charge of everything or we need to be present in everything or we can't really take Sabbath days then we have a distorted concept of who God is and what his role is and who we are and what our role is. And that kind of dysfunction is a real setup. Yep. I, I go a little further than you, and I recommend that guys try and take a Sabbath day and a day off. Okay. And the reason is, um, if you have one real day off, that's all you really get. Let's say a guy, well, if, you, if that day's Saturday, for instance, mm-hmm. Well, you know there's going to be weddings on Saturday. There's right. going to be funerals. There's going to be s- s- events. Maybe a little last-minute sermon prep, too. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and there's there's going to be your kids are having games, and there's birthday parties, and there's more events, and there's church parties and yep. events. And, and when a pastor shows up at a church party, he's not really off because right. he's aware of everybody there and how they're doing, and there's a new person. Is anybody talking to the new person? Exactly. So yeah. the other reality is pastors, just like everybody else, have a lawn to mow, have Costco to shop at, have issues around the house and so if all you've got is one day and you you pack in all your honeydew stuff in that day then you have no real downtime no real unplugged time yep. so yep. anyway that's uh, I went to a conference at Gateway Church years ago and those guys had a really good concept of health and their their attitude was we're supposed to fill people with God and God will fill the church and they didn't let their pastors work more than two nights a week or more than 50 hours a week. Awesome. And 
um, their churches exploded. They got 30,000 people, not just because of that good paradigm, right. but the fact is they're healthy people because they have a healthy paradigm. Yeah, I think the one other thing that I would add, too, is I really, whenever I meet with a leadership team, I say, do you have a, a sabbatical program set up mm-hmm. in place for your pastor? And a lot of them do. Uh, our denomination, I think, is very, very uh, intentional about caring for pastors yeah. and have whole departments set up for that. But uh, there's a lot of resources out there that I think a lot of uh, pastors and churches just aren't aware of that allow for pastors to leave the pulpit, leave their ministry for even up to three, three and a half months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the church is cared for uh, because those types of things happen. One of our mutual friends, Gary Kinneman, mm-hmm. uh, was able to uh, shepherd and preach for three and a half months while I took a sabbatical uh, some years ago. And it was it kept me in ministry for another decade. I'm sure that's really uh, neat. That break. No, in your normal routine, how often did you preach at Genesis? Yeah, I would probably go every six to eight weeks, and then I would take a break. Uh, we were fortunate to have a couple of folks on staff who also were great teachers, so I, I never felt like I couldn't leave. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. when I didn't, when I was only the solo guy, you know, I just I know enough people now in Phoenix that I would bring folks in who were great preachers. So. Yeah. I think that's healthier for the church and healthier for you, right? Because if you're preparing a new sermon every week, the way life goes for a pastor is you're always thinking about it. There's a pressure that never quite goes away. And now that you've stepped away, you've really realized how much pressure you were carrying all the time, right? I mean, we did a transition ourselves this last year, and... uh, I, this is the first time in 40 years for me, because I was pe- senior pastor in California before starting Living Streams, mm-hmm. and um, I never realized the weight I was always carrying. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that rhythm is something that is, uh, is now gone for me, and there's definitely, you know, that part, that pressure is off. Uh, but uh, yeah, you also I, miss it. I, I do miss it. I get to preach every now and then. I got to preach this last Sunday, so I'm grateful for that. But the rhythm is something, and maybe you can you know school me on this. I am that's a, a struggle point for me because for 28 years I had you know Sunday to Sunday rhythm, and now that rhythm's gone. I'm traveling. I heading over to Southern California to meet with churches, and that rhythm is gone. So it's a little bit weird. It's it's all yeah. good, but it's just going to take some. Getting well, used it to. is it is different, and and having you know a good rhythm is really, really helpful. Um, one of the books I love on Sabbath, you might be familiar with, is by Mark Buchanan called The Rest of God. Okay. He's a Canadian pastor, mm-hmm. and he has a very non-legalistic view of the Sabbath. Okay. I mean, his, you know, he believes in the Sabbath, but um, basically what he says is if cooking pancakes for your kids is a blessing and restful, then do it. Yep. And if going out to breakfast is better, do that. Yep. If working in the garden is restful, do it. If watching TV, whatever, just give yourself permission yep. to unplug. That's awesome. And, and, I, and he's a great writer, so he's got great stories in this book as That's well. Cool. But having a rhythm, I think, really is the key because when there's nobody calling you to punch in a time clock, you have to set up a discipline. Right. And uh, that discipline it does revolve around Sunday's coming, you yep. know, yep. without a doubt. For sure. So what do you enjoy doing? What do you like to do just to stay in shape now? I mean, you were an athlete growing up. And... Yeah, uh, you know, I love uh, to mountain bike. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, on my on my Sabbath day and usually a couple times a week, I take off on my bike, head out in the desert, and just go for you know hour an hour and a half mm-hmm. at a time. Uh, love being out in the de- in the desert where I where nobody else is. I'm an extrovert mm-hmm. by nature, but I do enjoy some amount of uh, solo time. My wife and I are big hikers, so usually Saturday mornings you'll find us up on some peak somewhere, huffing and puffing. So um, you know, try to be try to be active in that way. Uh, I love music. I'm not a musician, but mm-hmm. I, I love to take in you know different music styles and listen to and, and being around uh, Alice Cooper and being around uh, a, a bunch of folks who are very musical I got all kinds of different you know stuff in my ears so I was able to enjoy some some different uh, musical styles so that way too t- tell us about your collaboration with Alice because obviously um, if people don't know him personally that he really loves Jesus yep. they'd look at his persona his rock and roll persona <laughs> and say you got to be kidding me. right right tell us about how that worked out yeah you know it, it's uh, it was really a, a joy uh, from start to finish for me. We definitely had a, a couple of people, not very many, who were a little standoffish, like Alice mm-hmm. Cooper. Well, you know, all I know is bad stuff about yeah. you know him. You know, uh, was a preacher's kid. Uh, grew up here in the valley. Uh, had obviously some some wild portion of his life. Uh, came back to faith in the uh, early '80s. Got clean and sober. Uh, his wife and he are very committed uh, folks at Camelback Bible. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the first things that he offered to do when our church was thinking about this this collaboration was uh, he said, well, if you want me to come up on a Sunday morning and, and, and share my testimony and talk, and of course, I'm like, that would be incredible. Yeah. So, uh, you know, usually once a year uh, from that first year, uh, he and he and Cheryl sometimes twice a year would would come on a Sunday and just just talk. And, uh, you know, I personally heard him not only in front of our congregation, but he's had a couple of opportunities with a, you know, a hundred or more kids in our worship mm-hmm. space doing music uh, and then pausing. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I want to call it preaching because that's what it was. Yeah. His, him just sharing about his life and his faith. And uh, it was just, you know. How did the kids respond? Oh, they, they were just, you know, mesmerized, you know. Here, here's this, you know, this rock icon, yeah. you know, talking about his his love for Jesus, and I think that probably for me, one of the 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 just the highlights of that whole relationship was every year he does his Christmas pudding show, yeah. and every year he asked me to open the thing with prayer, and people had no clue what was happening. They were there, yeah. they were there for all the metal bands and stuff, and then I start and invite Jesus into this moment, and uh, to me that was just, you know. That's the really icing neat. on the cake. Now, how many kids do you have, personally? Uh, three kids. Uh, Josh, Sarah, Ben, uh, all home for Christmas. So uh, our, our oldest, Josh, uh, works in Scottsdale. Uh, our middle daughter, uh, Sarah, is a senior up in uh, Linfield College in Oregon. And then our youngest, uh, Ben, is at Northwest Christian uh, Senior in high school. So you preach now in different churches. What were, do you Have you found a new home church for this season of your life? Yeah, you know, uh, so... We made a decision. It's our our youngest uh, senior year, and we said, you know what? For one year, we can really go wherever you would like to go. Yeah. So we, you've had to follow us forever. Right. Now we have this unique moment in time, so you get to pick. And so we've actually been, you know, bopping around a little bit. We have not church shopped. Mm-hmm. In 28 years, yeah. So and it's so, sort of fun to see what is. what the Lord's doing. I, I, in different I have, churches you know, now. I never, I don't get out on Sundays, at least yeah. for the last 20 yeah. years. So seeing how different churches do their thing on Sunday has just been a joy. Uh, so we've been we've been visiting other churches, and I, I think my son's just about centered on one. So we'll we'll probably make that. Home well, for a make while. sure he comes to Living Streams before he makes his Definitely. final choice. Absolutely. Um, my guest is Pat Stark, and he's the founder of Genesis. He's now overseeing churches for the Covenant denomination. And he loves the Lord with all his heart. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message. 
Welcome back. We're wrapping up here. Um, this program, it's uh, now July, uh, January 2nd, but uh, you're a guy that shares your faith all the time, and you encourage your parishioners to share their faith. W- what would you say to somebody who, who feels like, well, I don't know if they want to even hear from me? Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm, all, I'm also big on statistics, and statistically we know that especially around holidays, uh, Christmas and Easter, uh, you know, people are more open. Uh, in fact, 25% of our population of unchurched people uh, state that they would attend a church meeting of any kind if a Christian friend of theirs asked them. I mean, that's a quarter of our population who don't go to church. And so I think, especially you know, around this time of year, people are more open. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also know, and this is kind of the sad part of it, that about 2% of Bible-believing Christians actually invite their friends, just two. So, so I would love... I would love to encourage, you know, my brothers and sisters out there just to blow that statistic up and, and you know, take that step of faith, take a risk. Sometimes it is a risk uh, to talk to people. And, you know, it doesn't have to be something elaborate. It doesn't have to be something that uh, is, is, you know, uses biblically flowery language. Just, just be yourself. Tell people right. your story. How did you come to faith? Why is following Jesus important to you? So I just, I'd love for people to, to get out of the box a little bit, uh, talk about their faith. Uh, we also think that church planting is a huge way to, to encourage people to come to faith. So if people out there are interested in planting churches here in Phoenix, let me know. You can find me at pat, uh, pat.stark at pswc.org. And uh, our hope is to plant 70 uh, Hispanic churches, 30 Anglo churches in the next 10 years in Arizona and Southern California. So wonderful. if you want to be a part of that, let me know. That sounds really good. Pat.stark at pswc.org. If you want to reach me, you can look me up uh, livingstreams.org. And we meet on the corner of Central and Glendale every weekend. Um, we want to thank you for being with us. Thanks so much, Pat, for being on the program Thanks today. Thanks for having me. And God bless you. Let the Lord use you. Share your faith. Forgive those who sin against you. And let the kingdom of God come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm.